0: Mr. Xavier Reese pointing out today's simple truth. The miracle at Canaan was the first miracle of Jesus. The
1: miracle was the beginning of signs Jesus did. It's like if you're driving down the street and a sign says, yield to traffic on the right. The sign tells you, points you somewhere. So here the miracle at Canaan is not so much focusing on the power of the miracle, but beyond the miracle to the person of Jesus
0: Christ. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Flashing lights, bright colors, anything out of the ordinary is often used to draw our attention to not just the messenger, but even more so to the message. And as we head back to the wedding feast at Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine, Pastor Xavier highlights for us the simple truths of a God at work. Here's our teacher, Pastor Xavier, beginning with our text. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the third
1: day, there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some now out, and take it to the master of the feast, and they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then that which is inferior, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of science Jesus did in Cain of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed on him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brother, his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now, there were potential social problems because of the situation here. The fact that they had made inadequate provisions for the wedding was an embarrassing event for the family. Mary was pressured by the circumstances, and attempted to pressure Jesus to act on her petition. But Jesus, in a mild reproof, communicates very clearly to her that he is guided now by the will of God as Father, not by her motherly authority over him. What does your concern have to do with me? There's no disrespect, there's no dishonor, but there is a clear proclamation that. The ties are cut. Now, notice in verse 5 that Mary submits to the clear communication of Jesus. She addresses the servants to do as he would bid them. But notice, fourthly, in verses 6 through 8, that the only provisions they had was water. Now, that is a problem. Uh, Water was part of the ritual for purification rites. And then Jesus told the servant to draw some out and take it to the master of the feast in verse 8. I mean, you've got all these people here. (laughs) You have no more wine. What do you do? The miracle at Canaan was the first miracle of Jesus. Verse 11 and 12 tells us. The miracle was the beginning of signs Jesus did. The first of seven in John's gospel. The second also took place in Cana. In chapter 4 verse 54 says this again is the second sign that Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Now, the word manifested means to reveal. So here the miracle manifested his glory as the only begotten son. Who became incarnate, according to chapter 1, verse 14? Who we beheld as glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word sign there is not so much focusing on the power of the miracle, but it points beyond the miracle to the person of Jesus Christ. There are two other words that are used for power and for the miracle, but this is used for a, a sign to point and, and John uses exclusively this throughout his gospel. It's like if you're driving down the street and a sign says yield to traffic on the right or no left turn or merging traffic, it, uh, the sign tells you, points you somewhere. This is what the signs that John has chosen. They, they want us to get beyond the event, the miracle, and to go to the leading that it points to Jesus, the Son of God. Faith is active for John, and the climax of every encounter is that through these signs written, people will believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in his name, you might have eternal life, John 20, 31. So these signs point to Jesus, Don't get so caught up in the sign they point you to Jesus, the person of the Messiah, the Son of God. Too many people get caught up with miracles, signs and wonders. And they're so busy about their miracles their signs this and that, that there's really no relationship or, or real walking with Jesus. It's always from tent meeting to tent meeting, from convention to convention. They're miracle buffs. Just like, there's prophecy buffs, right? Prophecy is one part of our aspect of the Christian life. Make sure you study the whole of the Scriptures, the whole counsel of God, not just some specific area. Now, God may call you into a specific area, but you're well-rounded. And you're not just myoptic. You're not just looking through the knothole in the fence. Stick your head over the fence and see the whole thing. Then when you look through the knothole, you'll be able to identify where it fits. And you'll know they had already believed in him as the son of God and the king of Israel, according to Nathanael in chapter 1, verse 49. But notice also the miracle moved Jesus on to his ministry headquarters in verse 12. Capernaum was 20 miles from Cana on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus pronounced woes over Capernaum. He says, Woe to you, Grace, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. Because if the mighty works had been done and you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. The measure of light they had received was the greatest. They had the Son of God. And they rejected His witness. And so Jesus proclaims woes, judgments to them. And Capernaum was one of those cities. Matthew eleven twenty three 23 tells us that. Now, notice this company. His company was divided. His mother believed in him, certainly. But his brothers did not believe in him. Chapter 7, verse 5 tells us that. As a matter of fact, there they say, well, listen, if you're the Messiah, why don't you go up and and reveal yourself? It must have been tough growing up in the house of Mary and Joseph. Now, some of you say, well, you you don't know how bad I have it at home. I'm I'm sure I don't. But I know Jesus does. All his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him. He knows exactly how you feel, what you go through. So you can go to him. Then you have his disciples and certainly they believed and they kept on believing. But notice that the miracle did not hinder his ministry. He didn't get so overwhelmed by it nor everybody else. But he moved right on. Oh, that we not get so overwhelmed by the big things that God does, miracles, whatever He may do, but that we just consider them as God's grace, God's goodness, as a normal thing that God does for us, and then we move on to be used as God would have us to be used and that we don't get bogged down, that we don't think of ourselves so serious or we think of ourselves so important or so spiritual that pretty soon we just... We don't have to go any longer. We don't have to do any more. We don't have to progress anymore because we have arrived. Paul tells the Corinthians, I wish you did arrive. We'd be reigning with you. (laughs) How interesting. And so the proclamation at the wedding resulted in God's glory being manifested. Isn't that what it's all about? Doesn't God take the problems of our life, the situations of our life, so that He might work in and through them that He might receive the glory and that we might be changed. He does that all the time. Now, let's finish up by looking at some principles from the wedding that will help us out. First of all, the Lord Jesus approved and commended marriage. For man and for woman. As his institution. He was present. He gave it to Adam and Eve back in Genesis. Genesis 2, 24 and 25. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two should become one flesh. Uh, young men, make sure that you leave your mommy. Young ladies, make sure that you leave your daddies. That doesn't mean you abandon them. That doesn't mean you become... A stranger, that means that you sever the authority of that old home, and now, ladies, your husband is your authority, and his authority is tempered by the scriptures. He's not there to knock you around like a punching bag. He's not there to abuse you as a sex object. He's there to love you as Christ loves the church. Ladies, you make sure you sever your relationship in terms of authority from your father, he no longer has a say so over you. He does not call the shots. Uh, in-laws, alias outlaws, <laughs> back off. Don't create problem for your children. There are concentric circles. The outer circle is your friends. That outer circle does not come into the inner circle unless it is allowed by your family. You bring certain friends into the family by permission. Your immediate family, the next concentric circle, does not intervene into the bullseye circle. That bullseye circle is you, your wife, or your husband and your children. And your parents and her parents do not get into that unless you both agree. Very, very important. And I'll tell you what. Do you know how many marriages are messed up because of in-laws? Because they won't keep their nose out of their business? How interesting. God uses the figure of marriage throughout the Old and New Testament for our relationship to Him. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 54, 5 says, for your Maker is your husband, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And there are many other passages. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle says, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you as one husband, or to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. And what should we say about Paul's Incredible chapter of Ephesians 5 verse 21 through 33 where he puts a, a parallel side by side Christ to the church and husbands to the wife. Oh, what a, an incredible, an incredible analogy. That's the epitome of our relationship. Secondly, the most important person in a wedding is Jesus, not the bride and the groom. The focus of the wedding in Cana was on Christ, not the groom. He's only mentioned once, and he's not mentioned by Christ. He's mentioned because of the wine. Did you realize that the bride wasn't even mentioned? She's not around. Why? Because John wants us to focus on the important person of a wedding. It is Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not there, that marriage is doomed. It's a matter of time. And even if you can maintain a civil relationship, you will share less and short of what God wants you to experience. And if you should be compatible and have an amulet relationship, when you die, you will be separated from God. Far short of what God wants you to have in marriage. The bride and the groom are certainly necessary, but without Christ, they will never experience marriage as God intends it. But the problem and the tragedy is that many times Christians don't experience what God intends for them. Some of you in your marriage, you're just enduring. You're biting the bullet. You're going through motions, and it's not right. And it's because of your hardness of heart. It's because of things in the past, and you don't want to let go of them. And you see yourselves, each other, as you were and not as you are in Christ. And you refuse to yield to the love of God because it will cost you. That means you have to forgive everything and start new. And you don't want to do that. You want to hang on to the old baggage. And so therefore your marriage is really a real struggle. And it's really not that much fun. As a matter of fact, you'd rather work overtime than go home. And that's no good. The Lord Jesus must be invited. He must be made part of that wedding an ongoing partner in the marriage. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Jesus is the most important part. He must be part of your marriage or you are in for some hard knocks. We get them even in Christ, let alone without Him. Notice thirdly, the joy of marriage comes from Jesus. Wine in the scripture is symbolic of joy. And not permission for us to get drunk, as I said earlier. Uh, Psalm one hundred four fifteen says, "Wine that makes glad the heart of man." Uh, Song of Solomon speaks about the wine and speaks about joy, and it's a celebration. It's never talking about intoxication. The only ones who knew where the wine came from were the servants. Did you notice that? John gives us that commentary. There will be people in your life if you are a faithful servant if you are being a type of Christ and, and if you are trying to please God and you're dying to yourself in your marriage There will be people who will attempt to give glory and credit to you for your marriage Don't you dare let them Because I as a servant of God know that it's Jesus and not you and your bride Only us the servants know other people who don't know Christ say, oh, boy, they've got their act together, you know, because he's financially stable and, you know, he's a real smart guy. He's got a neat character. He had a good family and, the, you know, all this stuff. And we're going, no, 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 no. It's because Jesus, that's why. The servants know. We know. The Lord knows. But everybody else oblivious because everybody's always trying to look for credit and to give credit, but they don't want to give any to God. You know what I mean? No way. The joy that Jesus gives in marriage is many times, though, through the most difficult and the most painful times. And if we are willing to admit, we would not change those for any amount of money. We certainly don't want to go through them again. Again. But we wouldn't change them for any money because they have changed us. They have made us more like Christ. And it is in these difficult times, these tragic times, even when there's unfaithfulness, even when there's just break of trust or whatever it may be, just a difficulty that if you both are willing to submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, then He Will take you through and put joy in your life, and you will never ever exchange those for any amount of money because they have made you more like Him and less like you, and that is good news. And you learn to be open to His love, and it costs you, yes, it costs you, but it's good, absolutely good. Fourthly, the quality of joy of marriage is to increase contrary to tradition. You see, he, he kept the best of the last. Most marriages and relationships begin good and passionate. In fact, they can't keep their hands off each other. That's part of the problem. Then after the newness of passion of lust wanes and wears away, the commitment and passion wanes also. I mean, you see these guys—they're just so, you know, chivalry. Oh yes, let me open the door for you, hun. This and then, oh, can I help you this and that? And you know, after a year married, and you know, and gets out of the car and goes in the store and looks out, and she's still sitting in the car. and Says, "What's the matter? Get out!" <laughs> and she's looking. You know, <laughs> what happened? You know, the first year you say, "How oh, you got a sniffle?" Oh, I'll go to the doctor, hun. Then, third year down the line, oh, are you sick again? Then five years down the line, ah. Oh, You're going to cost me money again? You have to go to the doctor? How fast it wanes. The Christian is to begin with fervent joy and commitment, and they are to increase, contrary to the world. Now, did you begin good with your wife and your husband? Great. And keep the temperature rising. Cultivate your relationship. Do not put your relationship with your wife or husband on cruise control. You better be cultivating. You better be working at falling in love with your mate. You better still date. You better still get around. You better still pray that you be creative in ways to be exciting towards each other. And I'm not talking about trying to mimic other people because a lot of people do seminars and they want you to do all kinds of stupid, silly things. You go to the Lord. You. Let God teach both of you. You know, and so everybody's running around doing the same thing this guy is saying. "No, You go to God. You know each other. You remember. Got to open your heart to God, man. You got to let Him do it. I tell you, Marriage is is the greatest game in the world. It's so much fun. But when you're losing, it's a drag. (laughs) But when you're hitting home runs, man, let me tell you, it is great. So you have to cultivate it. Fifth, the glory of God is to be manifested in marriage. Marriage. As a husband, as loving as wife, as Christ loved the church, he will be glorifying God. Wives, as you submit yourself to your husband and everything as unto the Lord, you will be glorifying God. Parents, as you bring up your children in the admonition of the Lord, you will be glorifying God. Children, as you obey your parents, you will be glorifying God. God is interested in the home, the entire home, Sixth and last, the miracle of Jesus in your marriage should cause you to believe more in Jesus, even to the disciples. You're there. You see it happening all the time. His daily love to sustain you and keep you to be faithful to your mate in this day of perversion and permissiveness should cause you to believe more in Jesus. His ability to change you and transform you through the difficulties of your life and your marriage, should make you believe more in Jesus. Because you know if it was for you, you would have bailed long ago. You would have never been as loving as you are. His mercies that are meted to you out every morning new should make you believe more in Jesus. Because if he gave you and me what we deserve, we would not be here this morning. His wisdom to run my home and my life should cause me and you to believe more in Jesus as he manifests himself from day to day, from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God. Mm. The principles from the wedding will bless us and will glorify God if we look at them, if we apply them. And so the wedding feast at Cana has shown us four important things. The people at the wedding were pointed out by John. They're specific for us to observe. The problem at the wedding was not a light matter and neither are the problems in many of our marriages, right? But he is sufficient. The proclamation at the wedding resulted in God's glory being manifested and that's what he's looking for all the time. And the principles for the wedding will bless us if we will obey and bring God glory. May God give us wisdom. May He make strong homes and marriages. May He strengthen your commitment to your mate. May you put your hand to the plow and not look back. May you forget those things that are behind and press forward to the things that are ahead. May you look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with some good encouragement, drawing principles for marriage from the wedding feast at Cana and winding up a study from the Gospel of John. Now you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But there's much more to come right here next time as well. But if you can't join us then, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. Mention the title, The Wedding Feast at Cana, And by the way, this is also a great way to pass along this teaching to others you know. Once again, the title is The Wedding Feast at Cana, yours for including just $4 when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. You know, it really means a lot when we hear from you, our listener friends, that our radio outreach is ministering to you. So contact us soon. And when you do, please let us know the call letters of this station. Still haven't found what you're looking for? Well, next time, Pastor Xavier has the simple truths for one of history's most noted skeptics. Hope you'll be along, too.